Hello friends, welcome to Running and Fitness with Raj. This show will bring you exciting and interesting guests and give you specific and actionable advice on your running, fitness and general health. Before getting into the episode today, I wanted to share with you the exciting news that the podcast now has a website, runfitraj.com. That's R-U-N-F-I-T-R-A-J.com. Please check out the website. Uh, it has all the podcasts. It has all the show notes. There is a very useful search function we can, uh, where you can search the various episodes and the show notes. And do send me any feedback or questions uh, that you have. That's runfitraj.com. Our guests today are Patmashri Ajit Bajaj and his daughter Dia Bajaj. Ajit and Dia are the first parent-child duo in the world to climb Mount Everest from the Tibet side and the first Indian father-daughter duo to climb Mount Everest. The climb was undertaken to support the cause of the girl-child in India. But they are not just accomplished mountaineers. Ajit is the first Indian to ski to both the North and South Pole. At age 17, Dia participated in the 550-kilometer-long cross-country skiing across the Greenland ice cap and was the youngest in the world to do so. They are very skilled in a number of other adventure sports like kayaking, rafting and scuba diving. Welcome to the show, Ajit and Dia. Thank you so much, Raj. Yeah, so I will uh, probably start with you, Ajit, uh, just, uh, just to give the listeners a little bit of your background and also the fact that you got into adventure sports and mountaineering from a very young age, climbing the 7,500 feet uh, Friendship Peak at the age of 12. So what really started you on all this and uh, what lessons did you learn along the way? Raj, I've been very lucky. Um, I was introduced to the great outdoors by my dear father when I was a toddler. He took me trekking to the Kashmir Himalaya. And um, after that great introduction, it was some of my teachers in school, which is the Lawrence School Sana, which has a very strong adventure ethos. And um, so we started climbing in uh, school and after school in St. Stephen's College, I really took to mountaineering, to rock climbing, to whitewater rafting and kayaking. That was about the time when uh, this was just starting, rafting and kayaking in our country. And I was very lucky to get into it. I'm passionate about adventure sports. and. Um, as you know, it's my hobby, passion and profession now. And I do yes. believe that adventure tourism is also the best profession in the world. So adventure sports is a passion and adventure tourism is a passion and a profession. Okay. And uh, what about you, Dia? Obviously, there is a you know, great influence and uh, uh, the path which your father and grandfather have shown uh, were there any other factors and also you got encouraged from a very early age? So just take us through that journey. What was it like, uh, you know, to grow up in that household and how did it help mold your confidence? So, again, very, very fortunate that adventure has always been a part of my life. I think growing up, it wasn't really uh, an option. It was always adventure. So, you know, I think before I could walk, I was out on my first hike on dad's <laughs> back and uh, it's sort of been um, a fantastic journey. I think adventure has taught me so much and it's definitely um, given me a sense of confidence. It's taught me that there's so much more to this world than just um, 
you know, what we see and feel in the cities. You know, you get so much exposure to different types of people, different cultures, different languages, um, a different style of living where you don't have the creature comforts of, of um, you know, a house and attached toilet, all of these things. So I think adventure has definitely taught me a lot. And I'm very, very fortunate to uh, have have had that in my life. And in your case specifically, Diya, see, as I mean, when you go through this uh, this process from a very young age, how do you balance your education and your uh, craving for uh, uh, adventure sports and those kind of activities? Uh, what are what kind of uh, challenges did you face, and what sort of adjustments you had to make? I think, if anything, actually, adventure sports helped me in my studies because they taught me to be it taught me to be more confident more, um, you know, it definitely enhanced my leadership abilities. And then it also taught me to focus um, and, you know, lead a life without sort of technology. So I was very able to concentrate on, you know, studies because of the time that I spent outdoors. And I think it's also been like there have been a whole bunch of uh, studies later that actually show that the more time that you spend outside, the more you're able to actually come back and concentrate. And I've definitely felt that. Um and and just in terms of exposure and and sort of the type of experiences that it gave me to never give up to never look at a challenge um and and back down i think those essential life skills translated into my studies and and actually really helped oh excellent okay now one question which i will you know ask uh, both of you since you are involved in multiple adventure sports and i'll probably start with you ajit as you mentioned in your introduction uh, you participated in a a lot of adventure sports from a very early age and you continue to continue to do that what i am trying to understand and what the listeners will be curious is about on the surface they all look uh, you know quite different but can you take us through some of the common threads that you see in these uh, activities and how has this variety really helped you scale greater heights in each of them absolutely raj i couldn't agree with you more uh, I think um, the first thing um, in all adventure sports is physical fitness. Um, and mental fitness. And mental fitness. So no matter what adventure you get into, which adventure sport you get into, um, you have to be physically fit. And mentally, uh, mental fitness as well is an important um, aspect. And then what ties into both this mental and physical fitness is definitely preparing hard. So not going into any adventure sport blind, you know, it's not like uh, going out on a run or, um, you know, going going for a, for a swimming class. You know, when you go out on an adventure, oftentimes it is in, a, in an extreme situation or even if you're starting out, you know, there are a, a whole lot of uncertainties because you're dealing with mother nature. So physical fitness and mental fitness all sort of ties into the amount that you have to prepare. You really do have to prepare before each and every adventure sport and sort of know that you have the skills and ability to actually perform what you're out there and going to do. So making sure that you have that training, physical and mental fitness. Absolutely. Um, I think yeah. uh, all adventure sports for, uh, for safe adventure sports, there are no shortcuts. Um, you do need a long apprenticeship. You do need to pick up those skills, which is absolutely vital. Uh, while all adventure sports do have that adrenaline rush, which is the common thread as well. But I think um, 
Another thing which is common is using your common sense. It is about grit, determination and fortitude. But also risk management perhaps. And, you know, so always... While while you do have to sort of stay strong and steady in your resolve uh, when you're out there, you also have to constantly have your antenna up and make sure that you're looking out for any possible dangers in the in the vicinity, whether again it is um, your equipment or nature. So sort of constantly being aware and being um, being present in the moment is is something that's a commonality. Uh, in all your adventure sports. And that sort of actually then translates to everything that you do. And also, as you start to go more and more into extreme adventures, that sort of constantly having your antenna up really does help. Yeah. Okay. See, I think, uh, you know, I was uh, reading, uh, you know, in preparing for our discussion that, uh, for example, uh, you know, when you when you scale, uh, you know, mountains at, uh, you know, the kind of calorie that you calorific requirements is multiple times of that for example see i'm a marathon runner but you know there is no comparison to the you know you know if i run a full marathon 42.2 kilometers probably i will expend something like 2700 calories or so which is a fraction of what you expend on a on a you know mountain climb of you know any altitude i mean any you know any altitude and these are some things which you know at least i was not uh, aware of raj to, to just add to what you were saying about your calorific intake, especially during mountaineering. So as an example, on Mount Everest, I lost a good 12 kilos and Dia lost maybe 6 kilos. She doesn't have as much to lose as I do. But uh, the good thing here is that for anybody who wants to be able to eat just about anything and everything, and still lose a lot of weight, I would strongly recommend high-altitude mountaineering. There are inherent risks in all uh, adventure activities. So take us through how do you cope with this? So um, to begin with, as I mentioned, you know, training is a big part of it. So whenever we are about to embark on any expedition, we leave no stone unturned when it comes to actually training and physically and mentally preparing for the expedition. Um, also, when it comes to the logistics, the equipment we're going to take, the company we're planning, to, the local company that we're planning to climb with, um, you know, each and everything is tested and vetted. And, you know, for Everest, for example, we actually spent two years just preparing um, just because we wanted to make sure that there was absolutely nothing that we left a chance. Um, and then when on the mountain itself, I think both dad and I are extremely cautious climbers. Um, and whenever we've, we've taken advice from anyone, you know, the one thing that I sort of the one piece of advice that, that has always come, uh, or really, uh, hit a nerve, I think with both of us has been that, um, you know, all mountains are beautiful, magnificent, fantastic, but there's no mountain that is worth dying for. And so, you know, we really appreciate and, uh, feel very humble to have the opportunities that we do to go out there and be on an expedition and actually experience mother nature, at her best, but we also understand that these are situations where we might be experiencing Mother Nature at her worst. And so um, it, it, we climb with extreme caution, with the, like knowing the fact that we've left half of our family back in Delhi and, uh, you know, with, with lots of promises that we are going to sort of err on the side of extreme, extreme caution. So 
recklessness in this point isn't really while while adventure is often associated with the sort of reckless behavior we actually try our best to move away from that you know so you have to take every precaution necessary and and know when to turn back i think that's the difference between a good mountaineer and an excellent mountaineer is knowing when to turn back you know those who come back and are alive to live the tales uh, are the ones who are who are you know the excellent mountaineer exactly. and to add to what dia is saying i completely agree i think other than the physical and mental preparation it's the planning that you do but there are these 5 g's that i believe in as far as managing risk is concerned so the first g is your group or your team's risk ethos you know um at that is how you approach adventure and it's absolutely vital that you approach adventure with a huge amount of respect for nature you do your planning uh for your adventure properly um the second g would be um about the guidelines so ensuring that you follow all the guidelines to the t um the third g is about your gear and i think uh, it's vital that your equipment is the best possible it's internationally certified the fourth g would be geographical conditions the weather really so these days the weather forecast as you know is quite accurate for instance when we were on everest we knew um that at what altitude for instance at 27000 feet are uh, what exactly the weather would be like so when at 9 pm we left for the summit we knew that there would be a wind speed of 30 kilometers per hour and it would be uh, blowing from the east to the west and four hours later the when we would get to the northeast ridge on mount everest the wind would die down completely and that is exactly what happened so geographical um conditions as well and another g especially for novices is the guides you go with these guides can make or break a trip and in the case of experienced uh, uh, adventurers it is the people you go with so i think that makes a big difference and you have to be careful uh and um, be be aware of the of these 5 g's you see when i got into adventure this is in the 80s um um people thought adventure was synonymous with daredevilry death defying kind of stuff but over the years people have realized that done properly with all the safeguards adventure can be a lot safer for instance than driving in delhi or mumbai <laughs> sure i got it and this framework is uh, excellent i think it's a very very uh, good way to think about uh, the whole frame uh, to the think about the whole framework C- can you both also take uh, the listeners through you know when you say physical conditioning what are some of the you know key exercises or key routines uh, uh, you follow to get into physical shape and then we will come to the mental side of it So we did four practice expeditions before um our big Everest expedition so we actually did four climbs in high altitude 
but before we do any expedition, we do try and get, uh, you know, especially if it's a high altitude climb, we try and get to altitude before that, at least a couple of months before. We're doing a lot of cardio. So whether that's running, swimming, cycling, um, or even playing a game of tennis, but just like trying to keep fit and making sure that, you know, our bodies are sort of at their peak. And then, of course, um, supplement that with yoga and, uh, you know, first first stretching and making sure that we're actually, especially for dad, I think, uh, being able to get in and out of the tent. <laughs> so he has to do, um, so we do, you know, make sure that we, um, we're trying to keep our bodies just at the peak of its physical fitness and to each their own. But but it's just, you know, whatever sort of um, you're doing, you have to make sure that, you know, you're able to do, say, run comfortably for an hour, hour and a half, um, at the very least without getting tired. And, you know, so we, we try and keep switching it up so that we don't get bored with the routine. But uh, a lot of cardiovascular exercise. And then, um, of course, we do a little bit of strength training um, and, yeah, yoga. Yeah, absolutely. So fitness has to be... A way of life if you want to be in adventure and I know we I I tell all my friends um, when I try and motivate them to exercise I tell them that just as you have to eat every day you have to exercise every day as well and um, I I think exercise is soul food I know day after tomorrow Saturday morning we are going for a hundred kilometer bike ride with a couple of our friends so whether it's swimming, going to the gym, running, um, it's it has fitness for adventure has to be a way of life. And then as Dia mentioned, I think um, it also has to be expedition-specific training. Um, for Mount Everest, we did do a lot of um, uh, training expeditions. We did four training expeditions. If we are going on a skiing expedition, for instance, when both of us skied across the Greenland ice cap from the west to the east coast, a distance of 550 kilometers close to the Arctic Circle, we went and we um, spent some time skiing in Gulmarg. While it was different type of skiing, Gulmarg is downhill skiing. And uh, in Greenland, we were going to be doing cross-country skiing, but it did... Um, get us into the groove and uh, got us in really good shape. Okay. So essentially what you're saying is there is a general physical conditioning you do through, you know, cardio, strength training, yoga, etc. And then when it comes closer to a specific activity, whether it is skiing or mountaineering, you also do a set of specific training, which is uh, geared towards what you are going to attempt next. That makes total sense. And then, Coming to the mental side, how do you discipline yourself mentally? Where does that mental strength comes from? Come from? I mean, part of it may be inherent, but do you use techniques like uh, meditation, visualization, deep breathing? I mean, uh, just take us through that process. So, Raj, I uh, I'm joking about this right now, but uh, <clears throat> I well, I did try meditation. But my physical, or rather our, I can't talk about Dia, but our physical fitness regimen was so exhausting that, uh, you know, whenever I tried meditation, I would go to sleep. I would pass out. So, uh, so Dia, maybe you can... Uh, I think it's I think it 
it's it's to to each their own and uh, definitely i have had um i did i did do a fair amount of like positive visualization and it's i think uh, also um especially with adventure the more and more time you spent outdoors that in itself is a very meditative experience your uh climbing or skiing or kayaking whatever it is for hours on end without really talking to the person next to you because often the conditions don't allow it so that in itself sort of becomes a very introspective and meditative experience and the more you do it the more it equips you with that mental strength and fortitude to then actually perform well later on the expedition so i think um and then on successive expeditions so perhaps on the first major expedition that i did on my greenland kayaking expedition i remember we actually faced a storm and the way i reacted during that storm versus then the way i reacted 10 years later when we faced a, or 12 years later when we faced a storm on everest was very very different just because of the successive um you know experiences that i had the more i learned the more that mental fortitude grew the more i learned how important it was to think positive when you're out there in a situation like that because it's very easy to start thinking negatively it's very easy to start thinking uh wondering why you're there why you're doing this to yourself on purpose but um you know it's sort of it's sort of just that experience which keeps building and you learn more and uh, i i would almost say that you meditate more while you're out there and you know um you reflect more if not meditate you contemplate more and then that sort of builds this reserve of physical strength and uh, fortitude which then helps you on later yeah, expeditions and on expeditions i think i would also like to add that dia is not only my daughter she is also my best adventure buddy and talking to her uh does definitely give me a lot of strength and um i guess also sleep music and positive visualization actually it kind of leads to my uh, next question which is uh, what are your favorite recovery methods i mean sleep is obviously up there but are are there any other way like you know listen to music or i mean any any other recovery methods favorite recovery methods uh, for uh, both of you on the mountain or off the mountain both actually when you are training and when you are preparing as well as when you are you know uh, climbing or uh, skiing or whatever i think like when you're actually out on expeditions it's very you you can just sleep and that's about it drink a lot of water you come back you don't feel talk like to each other yeah, talk to each other talk to your music teammates, games you know some will carry a pack of uno and we'll be playing with everyone on the team um so it's just more about sort of and discussing the day's events and you're discussing the plan and that sort of is your own way of unwinding and and you know i also think on expeditions you're often so busy planning that next time that you don't really get a lot of downtime unless it's an extreme mountaineering expedition where you're spending a lot of time acclimatizing um but but after an expedition or after a very long time outdoors i think coming back and just being able to sleep in your own bed and and being able to use a shower is such a luxury it's it's unwinding in itself and of course then spending time with friends and family eating good meals i think our appetites increase tenfold once we're back um once once dad and i actually come back from mountaineering expeditions our appetites were able to eat i think three or four times the amount um that we can at the beginning of the expedition so that's really fun um, and yeah. you know put on all the weight that we lost um yeah yes. i think uh, especially um when we do come back uh, one way of relaxing um other than what 
Dia mentioned is spending um, quantity time with family and friends. And I, the bed. And the bed, okay. <laughs> and the bed. <laughs> but yes, no jokes about yeah. Especially Dia. I know after Mount Everest, um, four days after I came back, I was up early in the morning and I went out for a swim. Uh, for a good like, long swim. I don't want to do anything for a while. Like I, I slept for like I think 16 hours straight. Okay, so now one question, which is uh, obviously, you know, there are many advantages when you go as a family, fa- you know, father, daughter. At the same time, there are also added pressures on each other, right? To look after for you. I mean, because all these adventures, whether it's climbing or, you know, long distance skiing is in itself quite uh, demanding, right? So how, how, what are some of the unique aspects of that? Uh, the advantages we heard, uh, especially from Ajit, like, you know, you recover better because you have a, you know, family friend who is also a good buddy to talk to and all of that. But isn't there also an added pressure uh, on each of you, frankly, uh, when when this happens? No, absolutely, uh, Raj. And especially, I know on some of our mountaineering expeditions, um, and in particular, Mount Everest, um, where you know things can go wrong, even with all the preparation and planning. Uh, there are many, many factors beyond your normal control. I must admit, yes, I was a very nervous father. Uh, you know, I was climbing with my daughter. There was a lot of pressure on me, um, especially from within, internally. Um, my family and friends were supporting me because they know Dia. They know all about her grit and determination. During the day when I would see Dia climbing and, uh, you know, hanging out in a tent with her and her youthful exuberance, uh, I would be very, very proud. I would, you know, it was a high for me, uh, quite literally. And, uh, of course, there were moments when I was by myself. Um, I I would be very nervous, even scared at times. wondering um, if if I had done the right thing by attempting uh, Mount, uh, Mount Everest with Dia. Uh, luckily, I do think that all of that preparation and hard work and planning did uh, stand us in good stead. Sure. Okay. Dia? Climbing with dad. <laughs> How is it? <laughs> I think it's, it's good. It's, it's, it's amazing to have sort of a person I can trust with my entire life, um, you know, climbing with me. I trust his decisions on the mountain completely. And I think because I've grown up doing all of these adventures with him, it's my entire style or the decisions that I make on the mountain are very much influenced by his decision style. So while we might disagree on the minor things, like, uh, you know, what time should one get up to train? Uh, Dad wakes up at like 5.30 in the morning and I train at 5.30 in the evening. So, you know, we're on different schedules there. But uh, but when it comes to being on the mountain and making big decisions, you know, we can almost look at each other and sort of be in sync. Like I can look at Dad and know exactly what he's thinking. 
And uh, that's that's super cool. And I think that also translates to Delhi. I can look at that and tell exactly what yeah. he's thinking. But for some reason, it doesn't work the other way. When he when we're back in Delhi, <laughs> Dad can't look at me. <laughs> no, it's, it's almost scary, Raj. I mean, Dia looks at me and she can read me like a book. I think I can read her like a book as well. No, no but well, that's a typical, I think, dad and daughter. Young women, <laughs> what do I say? <laughs> so now let's come to the climb itself. My first question is, uh, you attempted this from the north side or the less popular Tibet side. Uh, what was the thinking behind that? Okay. Um, so, you know, if you look at the summit of Mount Everest, Raj, um, Mount Everest demarcates the border between Nepal and Tibet. That's what I like to call it. Uh, so you can climb from the Nepal side, um, mainly the south side, which is the more popular route. This is the route that was first uh, climbed by Sir Edmund Hillary and our very own Sherpa Tenzing Norgay way back in May 1953. The north side <clears throat> is in Tibet, and uh, most people climb from the south side. Now, the south side is a little easier, um, but there is, I felt that there was a little more objective danger there, A, because you have the treacherous Khumbu icefall there, uh, there is a greater chance of avalanches, and the biggest worry on the south side is because it's a little easier, most people attempt Mount Everest from Nepal or the south side. The north side is steeper. It's a lot steeper. It's colder. It's more wind. There's more wind. But then you don't have the, the Khumbu icefall. The avalanche danger is much, much lower. And uh, there are m much less people who attempt Everest from the north side. And that really was the reason we thought we will... Um, we are both mountaineers. Uh, we would rather go for uh, the harder side with less objective danger. That was our sort of reasoning behind selecting the north side. Okay, and uh, coming to you know this, you know this is also uh, I had posted about our interview in my podcast groups, and uh, one of the listeners, Girish, had asked this question about some of the very difficult situations you faced. And I am obviously aware of the one which was close to the summit when Ajit, your uh, oxygen mask uh, froze up. Just take us through the, you know, that particular incident as well as if there were any other specific, you know, really challenging, uh, challenging moments. And how did you, how did you deal with it? What was the decision making process there? So, uh, you know, the, the oxygen mask freezing up was one of those situations that we talk about where you really have no control over, right? Equipment failure is random, and but does happen. Um, I remember we were climbing together, both dad and I, we were about an hour away from the summit. We were climbing very, very strongly when all of a sudden, you know, dad turns back to me and he says, Dia, I can't breathe. And of course, that was a very, very frightening moment. Um, but also you're at 8,000 meters, right? Your brain isn't really working or functioning at its full capacity. Um, at that moment, we had a very, very difficult decision to make because there were climbers behind us. And so both of us sort of couldn't stop and, um, and, and figure out what to do. 
we were in the death zone as it's called uh, the so called death zone and uh, that's basically where the human body is slowly stopping to function and um, this was at about 3 am in the morning it was pitch dark we were on a steep slope we had been climbing all night so we hadn't actually slept for two nights because the previous night we were in a storm all night and uh, we had been going super strong on a steep slope pitch dark in the so called death zone minus 40 degrees celsius was the temperature there with the wind chill factor and suddenly i don't know what happened we had crossed the first step the treacherous second step which is a 200 foot um rock pinnacle on the northeast ridge of mount everest and we were on the summit pyramid when suddenly i couldn't breathe i didn't know what happened till i figured out that the tube supplying oxygen to my mask had frozen because it was so cold and um that was a moment of truth for me like dia mentioned i was you know at in the death zone you are very fuzzy brained even with um supplementary oxygen um <clears throat> I had a decision to make the summit was tantalizingly close and what do I do um I had promised family back home that uh, we would climb together as a buddy pair all the way um but I took a decision and I told Dia that uh, you go for it um there was a sherpa buddy with us who went with her and um I must admit that seeing her go away from me her headlamp was perhaps one of the worst moments of my life because i didn't know if sure. i had done the right thing on the north side there are these two pitches below the summit which is a traverse where you have a 10000 foot you're on rock uh, there's a bit of ice there as well there's a 10000 uh, foot drop all the way to the east kangchung glacier below you and um, it, it's you're on a rock face you're traversing which means you're going from one side to the other side and you're wearing your crampons which is these metal spikes on your under your boots um so i was very very nervous um, but as luck would have it um i radioed our sherpa sardar for help he did luckily have a spare oxygen mask he caught up with me and uh once i changed my oxygen mask uh i cranked up the oxygen levels and uh and followed dia as fast as i could dia why don't you take it on from here so um i didn't actually know that that's you know what had happened because i had continued climbing and after a point i couldn't see that and so i actually ended up reaching the summit around 4:15 a.m. in the morning it was still dark outside and the winds had died down completely so i could actually stop and wait over there and um and i was sitting there and i think waiting for dad it hadn't even hit me that i had reached because i was so stressed out and and worried about dad and then it was almost as if you know um it there was some dramatic hindi movie director who had you know uh, decided <laughs> that this is how it was going to play out because cue the cue the violins or something there i see you know just as the sun starts to rise then above the horizon i see dad slowly walking towards me and then you know we both hugged at the summit of mount everest and we're crying and it's a very emotional um experience especially because you know we were climbing then as a father daughter team to also spread this message of of 
female equality in India and to show families all over India that that us girls are just as capable of doing things as boys. And uh, so being there with with my favorite climbing buddy and sort of being at the top of the world, achieving our childhood dreams, and then of course unfurling the national flag was was a surreal experience and um, was absolutely fantastic. A very proud and emotional moment, uh, I must admit. But of course, uh, what we would also like to share uh, as proud citizens of India, that uh, there is no challenge too big for us Indians. There is nothing we cannot achieve. We do feel that the time for our country has come. We all have to work very hard. We have to work together as a team. Um, there is nothing we Indians or our country cannot cannot achieve. On a different note, um, I must admit that when we got to the summit, like I mentioned, we hadn't slept for two nights. Uh, we reached the summit at about uh, 4.30 in the morning um, at first light. And um, suddenly, after the euphoria uh, and the high of unfurling the national flag, now we could look at the way down. And uh, the northeast ridge of Everest looks absolutely treacherous. And um, we were very, very worried about the descent because most accidents happen on the way down. And yeah. uh, so we decided that... Um, we sat down, had a bit of a rest. We drank some water and we forced ourselves to eat something. And we spoke to each other, drew strength from each other that we were really, really going to concentrate on our way back down. The day we actually got to the summit, we were on our feet for 20 hours. We got back down from the summit um, at 5 p.m. in the evening. We would started climbing at 9 o'clock at night the previous night. Um, and from about 8,200 meters, we went to 8,848 meters, which is the altitude of Mount Everest. And then we got all the way back down to the North Pole at 7,000 meters in a storm. Oh, wow. Okay. That's uh, quite a quite a long day is the way is all I can say. So many congratulations again for that uh, outstanding uh, outstanding achievement. Uh, so Dia, you touched upon it, uh, you know, when you reached the summit uh, about it. You have been very active in uh, female em uh, empowerment, promoting the cause of the girl child. Uh, what inspired you on this journey? And uh, then just take us through what are some of your uh, current initiatives, next goals? So again, growing up in India, I've always felt very fortunate to have had a family that supported me uh, and told me to do whatever I wanted to do, regardless of my gender. Adventure, being a part of adventure, doing all of these adventure sports, it was never the yeah, don't do it because you're a girl. I was always encouraged and supported to follow my dreams. But I've always been very aware that this isn't the case for a lot of girls in India. And so just, I think, growing up with this sort of knowledge just made me really want to use any voice that I had, you know, of these expeditions coming off, if people wanted to talk about it, the one thing that I really wanted to do was, was spread awareness and, you know, spread this message to families all over India to really like support and nourish your girls. I think us girls were capable, uh, encourage your girls, sorry. I think us girls are capable of doing a lot. Um, Absolutely, yeah. In a country like India, you know, 
we we are heavily sort of it, our family is a very very important part of our lives so i think if our families are supporting us and lifting us up there's no heights that we can't reach and i'm sure that there is a country too if we support our women uh, we'll reach heights much greater than mount everest and um, so when i was 17 i actually um, used the awareness from the greenland expedition and also raised funds through the greenland expedition to to start a girls wing in a children's home that was initially only for boys and uh, since we started out we've actually grown the the home it's about three times the size of what it was when it started it's been 8 years since and it is something that i'm still involved in and then of course i take every opportunity oh, that these girls are uh, healthy girls whose parents have leprosy have leprosy yeah. so the children and where is this located uh, this uh, shelter sorry, near haridwar near haridwar okay okay yeah carry on sorry i um and uh, but yeah so i think beyond that i take both of us take every opportunity that we can to go speak to schools and and young children you know both girls and boys to try and tell them that hey you know go follow your dreams but it's also really always important to me to speak to other young girls and sort of sort of i think um give them the, the idea that whatever it is that you think you can do um there's a lot more to it you know give yourself a little bit more credit dream a little bit more uh, aim a little bit higher and and that sort of i think what what we hope or the message we hope to spread by by speaking to young students and and um, and spreading this message yeah. and as a father raj i would like to say again that there is nothing a girls can't achieve and i've seen this when the going gets very very tough um I know I can't say this in front of Dia's mother <laughs> but but uh, I think girls uh, girls can be more stable emotionally um you know in a storm or when 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 the goings are going is getting really really difficult and I think as parents we have to support the girls you know our girls help them to dream big and face some of the challenges in the pursuit of their dreams head on with a smile with a never given attitude and then uh, also share their uh, success with them i think it's a fantastic feeling and if as a country we can support our girls like we are doing now um i think this could be a force multiplier for our country and our girls oh, can take us to the next orbit no denying that in fact when we came back dia uh, and i and as a family we were invited to um, meet the honorable president of india and yes. uh, we were made ambassadors for the girl child for beti bachao beti padhao and we joked with the honorable president and we said sir uh, beti bachao beti padhao or beti ko everest chadhao being symbolic <laughs> of uh encouraging our girls to dream big and then helping them um in achieving their 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 dreams it's it's just incredible the passion that is uh, that is uh, coming through and uh, thanks for everything that you both are doing and you know living living it by example so just tell us now uh, a little bit of your next goals i i know that you have completed 6 out of the 7 submits uh what are your you know i know things are probably in a little bit of a disarray because of the pandemic but just take us through some of the next goals 
we were actually supposed to attempt mount denali the last of our seven summits in uh june this year uh but unfortunately because of the pandemic the the plans sort of did get a little bit um changed of course so um the alaska national park didn't allow any climbers and of course no flights were actually functioning so we've had to postpone that till next year um i was supposed to join wharton for my mba also in august and that too has gotten i've i've actually applied for a deferral and gotten through so i'll be i'll be starting my mba next year in 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 august uh heading off to the us so i think my plans for the next two years are hopefully we will be attempting denali next year and uh in the summer and then hopefully i'll be headed head, heading off for my post grad i think uh dad is wanting to climb a couple of more 8000 meter peaks but um once i'm back from my mba i promised him that i will accompany him on a couple more climbs no absolutely i think adventures uh, still to come uh, one big part of my life has been rafting and kayaking some of the wildest rivers on the planet in all six continents um uh, so rafting and kayaking is a big huge passion for me as well and um, i'm really keen to continue um go raft and kayak rivers go cross country skiing on on cross country skiing expeditions uh, go scuba diving we love scuba diving as a family my my daughters and i um that is another holiday we take every year uh, we go we go scuba diving somewhere and yes definitely i i mean even after the seventh summit the the quest for adventure is insatiable and i don't th- i think that is something that will continue um so long as as i'm I, as i can walk or uh, you know uh so that is that is just a way of life uh, i think for both of us okay outstanding uh, that's so that's so inspiring to hear so uh, just uh, you know before we let you go i do a fun segment of a short quiz with my guests so if you are ready we can just run through a set of three questions uh, each uh, and then we can uh, wrap up before moving on i wanted to request uh, all the listeners to please leave a rating and review on apple podcasts or itunes it will only take you a couple of minutes but it will help the show enormously and help other listeners to discover the show so please do take a couple of moments to go and leave a rating and review on either apple podcast or itunes if you are using another app which allows you to leave a comment or a rating or review like for example castbox please do that either we also request you to please check out the website runfitraj.com and also if you have any comments or suggestions to please write to me directly at runningandfitnesswithraj@gmail.com you can follow all podcast related updates on instagram at the handle running and fitness with raj or on facebook on the facebook group running and fitness with raj now let's get back to the show okay so i i will uh, start um, start with you dia who was the first woman to ski to both the north and the south pole i think it was ann bancroft yeah there's yeah. also uh you remember the when we skied across greenland yeah. there was uh, uh uh we we used this uh, lotion uh, which was named in her honor it was yeah. called the ann bancroft lotion <laughs> yeah 
Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 correct. And uh, from the highest uh, point on Earth, which is Mount Everest, uh, uh, Ajit, question for you: the deepest point on Earth is the Mariana Trench in the West Pacific. Uh, can you guess how much, or tell us how much, right. how approximately deep it is? 10, 11, 11, 12,000 feet, something. 10,000 meters, meters, sorry. 11, 12. Yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. actually approximately 11,000 meters. Yeah. A couple of questions on Mount Everest now. This is for you, Dia. Uh, before Mount Everest was called Mount Everest yeah. in 1865 or renamed in 1865, what was it known as? Peak 15. Peak 15, yeah. yeah. British Survey of India. Peak 15. And the next question is for you, uh, Ajit. Uh, Mount Everest is obviously non uh, named after George Everest. Uh, what position in India did he occupy? He was the surveyor uh, general of India. Then his predecessor named it in his yeah. honor. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely correct. Uh, this question, last two questions. First one to Dia. Uh, you know, plants obviously give out oxygen during the day. That, but there are a few plants which give out oxygen in the night also. Can you name a few plants yes. that give oxygen? Yes, we know ah. it. We know this. Uh, yeah. And does aloe vera give oxygen? <laughs> no, I'm not sure. I don't know. Uh, aloe vera is correct. Aloe vera is correct. Oh, okay. Well done. Good one, Dia. All right. So next one is uh, since both of you are divers, I will wind up with a diving question. Uh, Ahmed Gaber of uh, Egypt uh, established a world record in 2014 for the. Deepest a scuba diver has gone. Uh, approximately, what uh, uh, depth did he dive to? Would it be somewhere between two hundred meters or thereabouts? It's actually three thirty-two meters. Uh, one final question: One, can you recommend some uh, resources to the listeners, like your favorite books or website, blogs, YouTube channels, or other podcasts you follow? Uh, some things that the listeners can follow up on. So I know there were some podcasts that Dia got me going on. So there is uh, the Fern Line, F I R N Fern Line. There is Base Camp, yeah. the Power of Adventure. Yeah, but I know on some of our expeditions uh, yeah. we do listen to the Daily Social Distancing Show. No, like seven no it was in the social distancing <laughs> yeah, show yeah till 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 now the daily shows podcast by trevor noah we sometimes used to listen to that or some of the um, you know the the bbc uh, or the ted talks sort of podcast just download it and keep it you know or some of these like humorous segments um and then in with with reference to okay. books and movies i think uh, dad actually has one by sir ed that he really really enjoyed yeah. uh, i think uh there, there are many books by sir edmund hillary and uh, you know yeah. i do want to talk about sir edmund hillary raj i had the very proud privilege of uh, going whitewater rafting with sir edmund hillary on two occasions down i took him whitewater wow. rafting on the ganges river uh just out of college and sir edmund hillary is a huge hero um and uh, you know he he's a huge hero hero not only for his mountaineering achievements but because of the great work he did post everest for the sherpa people of nepal um building schools and hospitals for them so his books um there are so many books view from the summit uh, 
There is High Adventure. There's also another book called From the Ocean to the Sky, which is about his jet boating expedition up the Ganges River. And since we go whitewater yeah. rafting and kayaking on the Ganges all the time, that's another favorite book as well. Matt, the first book I ever read actually about Everest was Climbing from the North Side, George Mallory's expedition by by Jeffrey Archer. It's called Paths of Glory. Of course, it's a little dramatized, um, but that's also another really good book. Um, and then, you know, I'm going to completely shamelessly plug over here. But Dad and I, through the lockdown, have have actually been in the process of writing a book about adventure in India. We're hoping to sort of do it's basically a beginner's how to guide. And um, it's going to be filled with stories about our expeditions, as well as, you know, 15 adventure sports that that um, that are conducted in India and sort of how to go about it. Uh, basically, really focusing on that preparation part. So, you know, talking about how to, to choose good providers. And so hopefully that'll be a book that you can also. <laughs> that book is going to be called Get Out. It's Honestly, we're, we're just we're just now wrapping it up. So we've been, yeah. Yeah. Maybe a few months from now. Hopefully. And uh, uh, we'll definitely let you, let you know, Raj. You know, the idea is to encourage our fellow citizens to take to adventure. Um, there's just so much adventure gives you. And we are very, very lucky. We are blessed with what we have in India. Uh, we have every geographical terrain. We are a biodiversity hotspot. And the opportunities for adventure in our own country are immense. So the idea is to um, encourage fellow Indians to take to adventure in a very, very safe manner and uh, to ensure that we strictly follow a leave no trace ethos. We leave our mountains cleaner than we find them, our mountains and wild areas, and also that we go about our adventures in a very safe and sustainable manner. Once the book comes out, I will include it in my episodes at that point. Right now, we will uh, obviously give a heads up to the listeners. But once it's officially out, uh, please do send me the links and uh, I will give a voiceover and put it in the show notes uh, at that point in time as well. I would be awesome. Great. Thank you, Raj. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, and if uh, somebody wants to get in touch with uh, either of you, what's the best way? Um, you can email us. I'm I'm on Instagram, and uh, so we have a lot of uh, you know our pictures up there. It's uh, Dia Susanna on Instagram. And uh, well, my email is Ajit Bajaj A J E E T Bajaj eight eight four eight at gmail dot com, and uh, our website is called Snow Leopard Adventures dot com. So I will include all this in the in the show notes. So if any of the listeners want to get in touch with you, then they can do it uh, directly. So thank you so, so much for your time. This was a fascinating conversation. Uh, thank you so much uh, for sharing all that uh, insights and all your passions and uh, wish you the very best. Thank you. Thank you, Raj. We enjoyed talking to you. Thanks thank you so, so much and look forward to meeting you in person. Absolutely. I, I will have to, once this is over, do some adventures with you through through Snow Leopard Adventures. So at some point in the hopefully not too distant future. <laughs> Absolutely, Definitely. Raj. Thank you very much to all the listeners. 
Please check out the podcast website runfitraj.com that is r u n f i t r a j.com it has all the podcasts it has all the show notes and there is a very useful search function as well you can reach out to me on my social media handles which are running and fitness with raj on both instagram and facebook and you can also email me on running and fitness with raj at gmail.com please let me know if you have any questions or specific guests you would like to see on the show I also request you all again to please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word. Please also leave a review on iTunes as it will help enormously to grow the show. We will continue to bring you exciting and interesting guests and give specific and actionable advice. Stay safe, stay healthy and till the next show. Goodbye.